This is episode 88 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 88 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have for the second time on the show, Carlo Sorrenti. Carlo originally appeared on one of the episodes in the early 50s. I think it was episode 53. And we talked all about his student rental business, the business that he has for flipping properties. And I had him back on because he was getting some questions from some of his tenants about real estate investing. And I just figured, why not do a Q&A episode, which is a bit different. I've done it one time before on episode 49 with George Duby for real estate investing. Investing general questions and real estate investing in student rental questions. So what we did in this episode is we talked generally about what Carlo's up to right now, what his current strategies are, and then also went through some listener questions. And we got into a talk about the economy. We got into a talk about how to focus energy in times like these and how to stay productive in times like these. Uh, Carlo's a very impressive real estate investor. For those of you who haven't seen his previous episode, he has over $20 million in real estate assets. Most of that is held on his own. He's got a fantastic business sense, and he has a way about doing business where there's always a solution. So Carlo's been incredibly valuable to me over my real estate investing career. Uh, I really do value that relationship, and I know that you're going to get a lot out of listening to this episode. So on to some other business before we get to the episode. Uh, Number one, if you're new to the podcast, I would highly recommend going back to the first 20 episodes because they're very foundational. This podcast has evolved over time, and I don't go into the basics as much as I used to for obvious reasons. want to keep this moving forward, progressing forward. So if you haven't started off at the beginning, I would highly encourage you to do that. The people who I'm aware of that have listened to or watched all the episodes of this podcast are ones that are taking action. Now, I'm not saying that's causation. It might just be correlation because they're interested in the subject matter. But I do believe that it'll be very valuable because of the great guests that have been on this podcast. So I'd highly recommend you go right back to the beginning, especially for the numbers. Um, You can also grab the cash flow sheet that I use to analyze deals on my website. If you go to andrew-hines.com, you'll see the link there to uh, to uh, download the sheet. I've been getting some feedback of people who are interested in learning a little bit more about the economic situation and what the current lockdown is is basically doing to us from a real estate standpoint, economic standpoint, and what we can expect coming forward. It's no secret that I'm very troubled by what's going on. You've heard me talk about that on this podcast. The challenge is there are some economics concepts that do need a little bit of a mini lesson. So what I was thinking about doing is maybe a little live stream on YouTube, might be a one or two hour presentation with Q&A to go over the basics of economics economics, you know, for people who have no background in that to just explain the current situation so that you can now use logic and reason to figure out what might be coming down the pipe in your specific areas and then for Canada as a whole as well. So this is uh, me thinking out loud. So if that's something you might be interested in, uh, hit me up on Instagram, ideally, and let me know. I'm at the Andrew Hines. Just let me know if that's something you're interested in. If there are specific topics you'd like covered, this is just a new idea, like I said, and I would certainly consider it if there is interest there in having something like that done. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode with Carlos Sorrenti. I know you're going to enjoy this one. Here's episode 88. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have for the second time on the show, Carlo Sorrenti. Carlo, thanks for making the drive up. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Nice to uh, be here, catch up with you again. Yeah, well, we had a good chat last time. We're talking about your student rentals. And um, so for information purposes, Carlo reached out to me, said he uh, he wouldn't mind coming back on. Um, He was getting some questions from some of his tenants who were curious about real estate investing 
And uh, I figured I'd put out some questions to my followers on Instagram. So we're going to go over some of those questions today, uh, but we'll do a little bit of a recap of what Carlo does. Um, he is a very aggressive real estate investor, student rental investor, family, multifamily investor, a um, lot of assets. I think we were talking $20 million in assets last time. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Things have gone up in value, so that's uh, you know that's doing that's well for you. Nice, yeah. <laughs> so uh, rather than me me give the story, Carlo, just for those who haven't seen the previous episode, uh, tell us a little bit about a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so we won't go into it too much because there's a whole other episode if uh, viewers are interested. But yeah, episode fifty three, I believe. Is, okay, uh, is the number. Yeah, you're the expert there, Andrew. <laughs> but uh, more or less, I uh, own a flipping business, uh, and we essentially have a very specific niche where we uh, build homes and fully renovate them and flip them to uh, investors that are looking for turnkey properties. And then what we touched on as well is what I'm more passionate about is actually hanging on to real estate and holding, uh, holding it for the long term. So uh, yeah, as you just mentioned, my portfolio, uh, it was around 20 million at that time. Maybe it's gone up a little bit now. And uh, that's just like a long-term uh, plan to hang on to those properties and um, collect the rental income, which really at the end of the day, uh, the freedom of um, owning those assets and the long-term equity buildup yeah. is what keeps me passionate and keeps me motivated. So, Yeah. Like I know you're, you're kind of getting to that point where you don't really need to buy anymore. And we've talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, You've got cash flow. I've got to imagine in the ten thousand plus per month, probably more like fifteen. I'm totally guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not too far off. It, it definitely is is fine, you know. Uh, but I I enjoy it. Um, yeah, so it's kind of a game, right? The yeah, creative element of yeah. it too. I like the thrill of like hunting for a deal. We talked a lot about this last time, but yeah. I like the thrill of hunting for a deal, like being involved in a transaction, negotiating with a seller. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really where I shine and just, uh, that's where I like to spend my time. Yeah. So I like to delegate out other things, but it's ultimately a passion for me. So it doesn't really feel like work. Now, yeah, let's, let's make it specific to the, uh, the time of, uh, or the circumstances right now, because things have changed a little bit. Are you still buying since the lockdown? Are you still looking at this point? I'm definitely still looking, but you always really have to adapt, right? Especially with what's been going on um, during this pandemic. Prices like anywhere in the GTA. So I'm from London, Ontario. Uh, mm-hmm. Most viewers will have watched the last one, but I'm from London. And right now we're at uh, the end of September. I don't know when this will air, but yeah, um, a few weeks. A few weeks. Basically, it's a crazy seller's market right now in London for sure. And I think anywhere in the GTA. So to answer your question, it's been a little tricky to buy projects that actually make sense. Yeah. So I've been adapting and um, I have a new strategy now to buy holds that are a bit higher in price and uh, just operate them as more executive rentals. Because when you go up a bit higher in price, this is just for London anyways, uh, 800, 900, even a million, there's not as much competition and you can definitely get a much better bang for your dollar right now than you know four hundred, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollar price category. So you always have to adapt to answer your question, and uh, that's sort of the direction that I'm heading right now. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the name of the game. Like if you find yourself yeah. in the if you're competing with everybody else, yeah, then it's probably time to pause and reflect. 
Totally. And I, I don't think like if I look back and evaluate everything you've done, you've always had an angle and we've talked about that. You still got your angle. (laughs) You got to have an angle. I I had, so one of the questions I had, and I remember it. Okay. I remember it just because it was, it was like the obvious question. Yeah. Because I put out this, this teaser. I'm like, well, this guy's done, you know, 100, $200,000 flips profit. Um, you know, you've done burrs where you've pulled all your money out and $100,000 on top of it. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the obvious question is, what are you doing that not everybody else is figuring out and right. i think we've more or less just covered it yeah. but let's just unpack that a little bit more so you've obviously back when you were doing the student rentals yeah one of the quotes that i remember most from the last time you were on is you said i, I found a way that i could pay more for a property true i said that yeah <laughs> let's re- recap that a little bit so so give me an example of of how you've recently paid more for a property than others would because yeah. of what you knew you could do to it so I think, or I know, like the rationale behind that quote is having like the best market knowledge. Because if you have the best knowledge about whatever particular little niche that you're in, then you're going to know how to create the most value on that particular property. And in theory, you should be able to pay you know the most for that property. So right now, um, it doesn't even really make a lot of sense to pick up these projects and I'm adapting to either buying more expensive properties so that's there's an example i'm buying properties that or i'm targeting properties that are like a million dollars in london which is expensive for london Mm -hmm. and i want to buy maybe eight nine or ten of them by the end of next year and i'm just looking to break even so that's an entirely different strategy and the rationale behind that is i know or i'm confident at least that those properties are going to have the best appreciation in london in the next, let's say six, seven, eight years. Yeah. So it's an entirely different strategy based on the fact that I have that really intimate knowledge of the market in London. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think it's worthwhile to pick up properties that are like 400,000, 500,000, 600,000 right now anyways in London, because they're already sort of at their peak. It's not as if they won't continue yeah. to appreciate, but from what I'm seeing, they're already at their, their peak and they're going to just graduate, um, in value a little less aggressively than right. the higher price categories. Well, it seems like there's always this like threshold that people are trying to get past. Like the average home buyer in London probably has a cap at say 650 or 700. Sure. So once you get past that threshold, all of a sudden you might be getting an extra thousand square feet for only an extra hundred thousand dollars. Exactly. Or something like, like the that. The bang that you're getting for that additional, let's say yeah. 200 grand between 600 and 800. Again, yeah. in London anyways, I imagine other municipalities yeah. would have a similar threshold yeah it just may differ between cities but in london anyways yeah it's astronomical like you're getting so much more of a house for a couple hundred k more and that's why i think these properties right now anyways are going to have the best potential for appreciation so i think it's just always about changing up your strategies and like you said having an angle and just being confident in your approach which actually comes from knowing having that knowledge and studying the market and you know just learning always and having that faith that what you've actually learned you can execute it and be confident in that approach that would be the easier said than done part (laughs) the faith part is a is a little harder but uh i would say like a lot of people just put their head down and they're like oh well everybody does duplex conversions and i've seen it and and they'll do these duplex conversions for a built-in 
maybe $40,000 or $20,000 of equity when they're done. Theoretical, because if they were to sell it, they'd pay realtor fees and that'd be gone. Right. But they'll just keep doing it because that's the only strategy they know of and they know everybody else is doing that. Whereas I think one thing you've always done is you kind of did that pause and reflect, okay, well, I know my market, but this current strategy doesn't right. seem to fit. Right. Not right now. Like I remember you telling me that I paid too much for a property that I paid 210 for. A bungalow. <laughs> if I said that, it was true at the time. <laughs> yeah. it, it was too much at the time. Otherwise, I would have bought it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the only reason that you, you hadn't bought it. But uh, now, of course, that same property in that same condition. And, and you know, I think that was Lexington. Yes, yes. So that same property would have been what? For 100000 as a piece of junk. Now. Even, yeah, right now, that same property. And this was only like six, five years ago, right? That was 2015, yeah. Yeah, so five years ago. So right now that property in in hindsight would be, yeah, like about 400K, like untouched, untouched, unrenovated. Just like a junky, like old side. Hindsight's 2020, right? But <laughs> yeah. just to build on your point on like that example of people doing the conversions for like 20 or 40K. So where I've adjusted now is I'm looking at how, let's just say a million dollar house, make zero cash flow a month. You're... Zero equity right away, Mm -hmm. but they're like newer homes. But if you can break even on a property like that and you look at the mortgage, it's going down around 1500 a month, just call it 18 grand a year. And then even if you put an appreciation of like 3% on that, which is pretty conservative, 30 grand a year plus the 20 grand that it's going down. So 50 K a year, um, you're not seeing that right away, but my thinking is hang on to about 10 of those properties for six, seven, eight years. Then you're talking about some serious equity yeah. with very little headaches. And it's just a whole different strategy. Well, and the client you would rent to would probably be a little bit better, right? There is somebody yeah. who, who wants a nice place and is yeah. willing to pay for it, probably yeah. professionals. So, so you could probably have a much more hassle-free rental experience versus these duplexes and such. Sometimes the tenants you get are actually like they're at, they're they're searching for your product because it's the actual most affordable thing they can find and it could possibly be the case yeah and i'm kind of experiencing that right now on one of my properties okay. is actually a couple of the family stuff in, Lo- in london it's fine but they're they're clearly people who like this is at the threshold for their affordability yeah and um not always the place you want to find yourself because then if something happens you get an email or a phone call saying i'm not going to be able to pay rent this month well you know better than anyone that i really don't like that model like yeah. I, I go for the higher end assets, yeah. you know, really nice renovations and try mm-hmm. and get like the highest end oh, of absolutely. the market, which and I, do I think too. you do as well. And it's in, for whatever reason, um, I still am seeing it and it might just be the neighborhoods that my properties are in that maybe they have a little bit of growing to do, or right. maybe I was a little impatient and I was trying to push for top dollar yeah. and I kind of eliminated some of the market that, that would have, um, taken me up on my yeah, offer so yeah. to speak now you're going to adjust and readapt and use my strategy that i just told you about. yeah well you know what i'm a cash flow guy so and i totally get where you're coming from because you have such strong cash flow in one place it, it's okay to, to spread a little around and take no cash flow on certain yeah. uh, certain assets because you don't need it um and i totally get where you're coming from there and uh very very rarely would i compromise on cash flow requirements but for what yeah. you're saying, there is a certain, there is a time and a place. So let's just do an example of what that might look like. Do you think you'd rent one of those houses out for like 3,500 or 3,000? I'm thinking in the low three, like maybe let's say 3,200 uh, plus mm-hmm. the tenant would pay all utilities. Okay. So 
So we'll do an example. So taxes on some place like that, probably like five grand or so. Say six grand. Six grand. Yeah, 500 a okay. month. Okay, insurance, you're probably gonna be like two grand maybe. Yes, yeah, just say 200 a month. Okay. 2,400. Okay, 2,400. And then maintenance, we'll say 5%. Be very minimal. Yeah, no management, no, uh, no utilities. You'd have no lawn cutting. No. And miscellaneous, I just like to leave 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, so you're talking buying for what? Let's just say 900. 900,000. Yeah. So mortgage, you're, you're at like 720K a mortgage. Yeah. So, so if you, you wouldn't get uh, 80%, right? You'd be 75. Yeah. Probably 75 and realistically. I think you're typically working with a credit union, so they would want a 25 year M. Uh, yeah. 25 year M for sure, which I don't okay. mind because you're paying it down more aggressively. Right. Okay. And then you've got, uh, an interest rate now, like interest rates are pretty say low twos, low twos, yeah. say maybe 2.5 to be conservative yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so based on everything you just said, if you can get thirty two hundred, that's thirty eight thousand four hundred a year. Yeah, the mortgage should be on that like twenty five to twenty six hundred in that vicinity. I would imagine. I'm showing uh, six hundred and seventy five thousand at seventy five percent loan to value, twenty five year AM. So you're going to have a mortgage payment of like three thousand twenty three bucks. Should be a bit less than that, you know, because I think I, you can get low twos right okay, now. Okay, yeah. So two point, say you can get two point two five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, then your mortgage payment's going to be around twenty nine forty. Yeah, and realistically, if I'm paying nine hundred in London, I'm I am going to get thirty four, thirty five hundred. Okay. You know, so it, yep. it may be within a hundred or two hundred a month uh, of right. not breaking even, or some may cash flow one hundred or two hundred a month. Right. It doesn't affect the overall strategy though. No, and I wouldn't think it would, and I I actually think that you might be pleasantly surprised on rents. Like I think yeah. you actually, I mean, 3,500, I would, there are people in, in, uh, in Brampton, for instance, or right. people in Mississauga that are paying, uh, 2,500 for a basement. Really? Depends. Yeah, like it true. depends. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, so in context, there's obviously a, there's, there's room for growth. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, just looking at this, you might be into a negative a few hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fine. But yeah, like if we want to look at your overall return, which is what I really wanted to break down. Let's do that. So your mortgage pay down over five years on that 25 year AM would be 108,000. Um, yeah. If you said 3% annual appreciation, I don't think that's even accurate. I think it's going to be more. I like, realistically think it'll it'll be considerably more than that. That's why I'm buying in this yeah. price category. So even if you said right. 4, 4%. Even though, like even if we just said 3 to be super that's conservative fine, yeah. and you got the, the negative cash flow a little bit, yeah. uh, if you have to come in with 25% down, pay your land transfer of 14,000, pay your legal fees of like 1,700, yeah. you're still 18%, 18.4% return on investment. Yeah, which is amazing. Which very little headaches, very little yeah. to no headaches. And whatsoever your, and your portfolio is still well well positive in terms yeah. of cash flow yeah and i like the di- diversification and like you mentioned earlier you're a cash flow guy i am too bar none mm-hmm. it's like well what are you going to do if those don't exist right now those How deals you, oh yeah the buy, cash flow deals I, I, personally i'm not well, just going to sign out well yeah the, the other i'm going to adapt and do this right and, and it's not it's inconsequential to you at this point but i yeah. mean the other option is you you spread out the other option is you you potentially go to a market you know True. that's that's two you hours could. away or you, yeah. you know you can go to sarnia for instance which is a bit of a pain you'd be driving in an hour yeah do you want that headache or do you care no, that much? i don't want that at all i mean yeah. i think this is a great strategy for me personally and yeah i think it touches on our earlier point like you know that's just one mindset that you should have if you're in this field is you need to always be able to adapt yeah well it's not to say that you couldn't find cash flow or create it right i think create it is probably the more likely you definitely create it 
yeah, but uh, this this plan isn't isn't a bad one because I think realistically we're going to be higher than three percent. The main reason I think that is because of inflation. With the way our government is, I mean, we're talking four hundred billion, probably more like five hundred billion this year uh, deficit spending, which is five hundred billion dollars of cash that really shouldn't be in the market. Yeah. And then we have the whole money creation thing, how banks lend out, you know, with a 10% fractional reserve. True. So 500 billion can turn into 5 trillion yeah. uh, through money creation, through, through just economic uh, cycles. Yeah. So that's a lot of inflation. Completely. And that's like more on a macro level, but even on a micro scale, it, like within the market that I'm talking about within London. Yeah. The fundamentals of the city are are strong. Like we have a major university which is growing. We have a major college which is growing. Healthcare. There's significant investment yeah. uh, being put in in the form of residential uh, complexes, uh, apartment uh, yeah. buildings, high rises. Significant investment going into the downtown core. Yeah. Um, major hospitals, uh, an airport, major employers, and the city keeps Corporate expanding. Yeah. The city keeps expanding both in size, uh, geographically, and in population. So on a micro level, when I study the market and I look at those fundamentals, and then I look even more in depth at pricing, like we touched on earlier, like what has the most capacity to appreciate? Mm -hmm. Like I'm all in on on this price category now. Um, for all of those reasons and your macro reasons make a lot of sense too well yeah it's just going to drive inflation right we're already seeing it It, it, the economy is like a sponge if you don't have more goods it's just going to soak up the extra cash and so the extra cash is basically it's not real buying power it's fake it's fictitious uh and you know did you invent that professor Hines? no no i I heard that somewhere i don't take credit for that okay uh but uh you know, it, it does it does bug me what our government's doing because they're effectively stealing for all those people, the, the you know the elderly that like to keep money in their house and under their mattress and in their safe. Um, the money's being devalued. Yeah, they're they're being robbed right now through yeah. inflation, and they don't even realize it. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're seeing that with cost of construction, it's just going up like crazy. I don't know if you said like two by four by eight, <laughs> eight bucks right now. Two by it's four crazy. by crazy. I mean, that, that also played into my thinking. Yeah. Right. Like cost of replacement. Right. You can't yeah, replace it. Yeah. I mean, wh- yeah. why not pick up these assets like these yeah. houses that are you know, a couple years old? Yeah. Don't have to deal with, you know, two by fours or construction or this or yeah. that. It's like it makes a lot of sense right now for me personally. OK, so it looks like a pretty solid strategy as far as building a lot of a lot of net worth. Like, let's just say, for instance, mm-hmm. I mean, 3% is inflation when we're doing things normally. Like, we're not having $500 billion deficits. Right, right, right. Our, our interest rates are around 3%. So what our government has done is they basically ingested, injected a whole bunch of cash and lowered our interest rates. Yeah. Taxes are temporarily lower, too. Right. Uh, although that's really just delaying the inevitable. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've got all that going on. So let's just say, for instance, you hit, like, say, 6% inflation. Now, all of a sudden, your return is bumping up to 30%. Yeah, which I think is totally plausible, which is yeah. why I'm doing it. So that's 54, in context, that'd be $54,000 of increase in price over the course of a year. We've seen that in London on houses, say, in the five 600 range. Exactly. In the last five months. That's certainly a year. Yeah, certainly in the last year. year. Yeah, so yeah. it's very reasonable, I would think, to expect that. Um, of course, we don't know for sure, so we don't bank on it. But no. but you definitely can build that into your numbers. And if that's if that, I think that it's all context too, right? Because for some people, if that was their only strategy and the only thing they held, if they buy their first property at negative three hundred and fifty bucks a month, yeah. they're probably getting out of the business real quick. It's definitely context. 
It's, yeah. This is something that works for me personally right now. Where you're at. Yeah. Having more cash flow as a base um, mm-hmm. and looking at the options that are out there and just readapting and shifting gears. Mm-hmm. But if someone is just listening to this and they want to get in and, you know, think that would be a good strategy for them. It, it may be if they have a career, like yeah. if they're a dentist they or a lawyer or something, flow. if they don't need yeah. the cash flow, yeah. if they already have, you know, a pretty decent net worth, then that is a good strategy mm-hmm. for them as well. Right. Cause it's like essentially what it's doing is parking my money. It'd be parking someone's money. Well, and it's protecting it from the, the inflation thief. You're hedging against inflation. Yeah. Right. Like I don't want to just leave it in the bank or uh, even gold. Like why not put it in a hard asset yeah. that has, market fund in a city that has market fundamentals that yeah. point towards appreciation yeah, yeah gold and silver are, are an insurance policy and it bugs me because they don't yeah. actually generate return right they just right. they insure against loss of value but yeah. uh and that's not even a guarantee um, but in the long run it sort of is it seems to me anyway uh, but yeah of course real estate's better you want to know the real kicker the thing that really bugs me What's that? if uh so inflation the government's kind of stealing your money by printing more okay but you get taxed on your asset going up in value, which was caused by inflation, which was because of the money they were stealing from people. Right. So you're basically getting taxed on something like in terms of real buying power, if you're say your house went from 600 to 900, but only, well, let's just say that was all due to inflation. Yeah. You would get taxed on a $300,000 gain if you sold it, right? You would. But why would you get taxed when that was li- when your real buying power for that, that, that dollar value has yeah. not changed. You no, can't I, buy I, more. I see your point. It's just that you are capitalizing, though, on the other hand, on the compounding, you know, returns annual, annually. Yeah, you're paying down. You're going, yeah, it's going up you know. relative to what you put into the property. You're good. Hey, I'm not I'm not complaining overall. I'm just saying that, that, you know, it's probably something not a lot of investors have thought about. Definitely. It's just out totally outside your control. So <laughs> kind of I nice. don't really think about it. I, I like that, though. You just stay yeah, focused yeah, yeah. on, on, uh, what's, on what's, within your control, yeah. what's within your control. And I think that makes a lot yeah. of sense. So Gurpreet asked a question here. Hello, Andrew and Carlo. My name is Gurpreet. I am looking to get started and looking to purchase my first property. I am currently renting out and paying only 650 uh, for rent. Well, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, my question is, uh, should I buy my principal residence and house hack or should I go ahead and get an investment property? Living in Mississauga or Brampton, I would still be paying 2000 to 2500 out of pocket even if I were to live in the basement and rent out the upper unit. On the other hand, I can buy a cash flowing investment property in areas like London, Sarnia, and Windsor. What are your thoughts? Thank you. I mean, I think it's a great question. Um, Personally, I'll let you tackle it after maybe. I think that if it's his first property, which he said it would be his first, it makes a lot more sense to just straight up buy the cash flowing property. Uh, unless he has some, that's from a, uh, numbers, uh, real estate perspective, growing your business perspective, unless he has some other reason that he wants to move for, you know, privacy or freedom or whatever the case, but from a perspective of, he said, he's trying to get into real estate. I would say definitely start off with cash flowing properties, even your first, you know, three, four or five, if he can get into a cash flowing property right, right off the hop, then. I would say do that because he mentioned he'd be out of pocket like two grand, even if he house hacked. So definitely I would say cash flow and property, um, scoop that cash flow for a little while, see if you can replicate that and move out when you need to move out. Like to put into context, I think I had like four or five prop rental properties 
before I actually moved out mm. on my own. So that's, that's what I did. And that's yeah. what I would suggest he do as well. Yeah. To that point, I have never owned the house that I lived in there you to go. this point. There you go. I, and I did that because I knew I could get mortgages. If I had, if I had a giant liability on my Another mortgage application, yeah. a giant cash flow loss on my, my mortgage application, True. I knew it would affect my mortgage ratio. So I just didn't do it. Uh, which was a huge sacrifice. Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's all about sacrifice, yeah. right? Now I'm looking, you know, to finally get our own yeah, home, amazing. and we're looking. And Burlington's insane, and prices here are silly. Yeah. Uh, so you know, might have to apply some guerrilla marketing tactics to find one. To the point, um, Gurpreet, I think I would be, I'd be looking in, in tertiary markets. Like if you're already going to travel to London, what's you know, what's it to go to Sarnia or Windsor to a market Absolutely. that has more cash flow right now? Um, maybe you don't need to go that far. Maybe you can look north. I would, if it were me, yeah, I'd be looking for the cash flow market and yeah. I would, because you're going to have to invest time. You're going to have to yeah. build a team. You're going to have to learn, yeah. you know, learn who to work with, learn that market. Carlo, you already know London. You're not going to stray from London because, you know, you can spot a deal a million miles away because you know the exactly. market. Exactly. It's um, so easy. And he's going to learn whatever market he yeah. gets into as well. Right. So do you want to, do you want to focus on the market where it's a needle in a haystack to find a property that's cash flowing. Cause let's face it, you can find a cash flowing property anywhere, yeah. but how hard do you have to work for that? Or do you want to focus on the market where it's mostly, it's mostly needles and it's you know, norm, yeah. there's a little bit of hay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I, that would be my thought there. Like it, it, we're in a pickle, like in, in the area that we're in, like I didn't want to keep driving to London cause it's an hour and a half for me. Okay. So yeah, to Burlington. So an hour and a okay. half London to Burlington is about right. an hour and a half, hour okay. 20. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just be able to, you know, invest in my backyard. So I was looking a lot in Hamilton. And what I kept finding is like prices are just silly. Uh, oh, people yeah. are bidding wars, zero cash flow, a lot of speculation on value. Um, the second, again, we're talking about competing with others. It's like, okay, I need to get creative. Completely. Like one, th- one reason why I am even adapting into buying these higher end properties is, um, I actually purchased my own property, which I'll be moving it. So I'm in the process of moving and it costs 800 K in London. And I was like, for what this actually buys me, Mm -hmm. it's like between the difference of like we discussed 500, 600. Now I can put some money in my backyard, whatever, put a pool in, finish the basement the way I want to do it. And, and why would I buy something for 500, 600? That's just like a quarter of the half the house. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what we're saying to this gentleman, young gentleman is like, yeah, get get a go to the tertiary uh, markets and find something that you can actually get a reasonable bang for your buck, um, make some cash flow, and if it's his first one, he's going to learn a whole bunch while mm-hmm. he's doing it. He's going to yeah. learn, you know, how to uh, pay all the bills, how to get a mortgage, how to fi- secure a tenant, how to deal with tenants, how to put maintenance team in place, how to possibly manage it remotely. Um, yeah, so it'll be great. Yeah, it's it's a learning process. Like no matter what, it's it's work, and yeah. and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I think you and I are both a lot less interested in hard work now. I mean, we'll do it on the right thing, but um, we want to we want to focus our energy where the highest value is. Um, yeah. But early on, you just got to learn the skills. You gotta you gotta yeah. grind it out until you know the skills. And uh, and unfortunately, that's the way it goes. But yeah, that that would be my thought. I would definitely be looking at those markets. So let's see what else we got here. We had somebody ask how to find JV partners when you're just starting out. Family and friends won't partner. Um, I know you've never been a JV guy, Carlo, but uh, give your thoughts here based on the question. So is is this question saying that they've already tried with family and friends? So Kyle uh, wants to know, yeah, how how to find JV partners. And um, 
it sounds like he's asked his family and friends and they're not interested in partnering it. That's a tough one because if you didn't put that last caveat and you almost always, when you're starting out, have to approach your family and friends because you don't have the experience to go to an investor and say, look, this is what I've done. Um, whereas your, your parents, for example, know you as a person, they right. know your character, yeah. right? So if they know you're not lazy, if they know you're a hard worker, you can say like, dad, yeah. you know me as a person, <laughs> here's my proposal. And always keep it professional, right? Even if yeah. you're with but just picking my brain here, because if he's already tried family and friends well, and he needs a JV, I would ask a question back to him. Why are family and friends saying no? That's, that's kind of where I was going. Like put together a more professional product to your family and friends because they are your best bet. Like they know you as a person. Like if he comes to me and says, will you JV with me? Like, Say, what have you done? Like, show me what you've done then. Right, exactly. How's your sales pitch? (laughs) I I would start with that. I mean, I've pitched people when I had very little experience. And and the way it goes is if you don't have the experience, you have to make up with tenacity, with with enthusiasm, with a heck of a lot of hard work and research. You got to have answers to all the questions they might ask, even though you've never done it. Hey, I haven't done it. But I've called this person, this person, this person. I've got these quotes. I've got this. I've called the city. I've done this. And then you blow them away with your level of preparation. They're yes. like, whoa, you yes. are not messing around. Um, other thing I've noticed is it's a lot easier to get a yes when you actually have a deal. Don't go to them. Sure. You can get a tenant of, hey, like, would you like to hear about it um, if you don't have something? Uh, and they'll say, yeah, we'd love to hear about it. That's really all you need prior to actually having a deal. Take some balls, though. To just go out and get a deal without knowing first you have well, that no. partner. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta figure out how to do that conditionally or something along those or lines. Or just get the damn deal, <laughs> or just get it, or have a you know plan A, B, and C. Right? Like it, maybe you get that deal and you already got somebody else you know wants to buy it. Um, if you can't do it, and you get a wholesale fee. Andrew, so, just plan A. Just plan. <laughs> Carlos, just plan A. Um, I've done just plan A, but I had bad plan A's, so I guess I'm a little bit uh, more careful. But I, I know, uh, Carlo, that's based on your experience, your level of understanding, too. I think one other uh, point that just occurred to me on that, mm-hmm. and there's a personal example, too, is if he were to find someone like you or I or with a little more experience in the real estate field, and he offers to um, provide us with some kind of value add service in exchange for maybe some mentorship then that would do him well because at least he would begin to establish a relationship with us and a rapport Mm -hmm. and then perhaps once we get to know him and his character even though he hasn't done anything deal wise we may think that his aptitudes are akin to jv with so i have students tenants that Help me out with leases. Um, one just helped me out building a website. And, you know, they just want to get it. They want to get their foot into real estate. Yeah. So they're offering to do these things and I'm answering their questions as well. So yeah. it's a win-win for both of us. So it's like mentorship, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Like, go. 
that would be a great suggestion. That can yeah, evolve. Go, go work for free. Go work for free for somebody who knows way the heck more than you do. Yeah, and that can evolve. Yeah, exactly. Then you learn, and then all of a sudden you become more valuable. When you go to pitch 100%. somebody, now you know what you're talking about. Hey, I've been working for a real estate investor for the last you know X number of months. Uh, I already have answers to these questions. And so when you go into a sales presentation, which is what it is when you're pitching a partner, Absolutely. you get objections. The person objects, you know, oh, but what about this? What about that? That's an objection. If you don't have an answer for that, you lose. This guy right now, he's going to yeah. be sitting there with like a deer in headlights if someone yeah. gives him an object because he has no experience. Maybe, least, maybe. Well, I mean, I don't know his backstory. But, no, uh, I mean, yeah. that, that's why I'm saying like maybe get yeah. some experience yeah. and that would be great for him because I know now yeah. if like um, there's one tenant, she helps me out with leases and then one guy, he helps me out with showings. If they were to come to me and say, yep. you know, would you want a JV? I'd probably still, I don't know, I would consider it, but at least they could put me down as a contact, as like a reference. Yeah. For anyone else they could JV with, right? Yeah. And, and just the very uh, fact that they can call you is <laughs> just, huge just for them. to actually, you know, speak with you. Like, I mean, I can say from, from my experience when I was getting started with this stuff, being able to speak with you is hugely valuable. Yeah. Well, so, thank you. I appreciate that. No, thank you. No problem. <laughs> it was helpful. Um, you know, so it's all about kind of leveraging your resources and, of course, got to give back too, right? So, so yeah. the, you know, w- working for somebody I think is a great way uh, or finding ways to add value to that person, like you said. Totally. Um, those, are, those are great ways. So Kyle, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, we're get, getting out of the box here. I haven't, haven't done a question, question and answer uh, episode like this in really? quite a while. Okay. Uh, we did one with an accountant, which yeah. was, it was cool, but not like this. a lot of technical questions, right? Yeah, it was all like uh, capital cost allowance, you know, CCA. You know all that stuff. Wow. Uh, okay, so what city are you buying in? So uh, actually, both of us are all in London uh, yeah. in terms of buying. Um, I have done a little bit of stuff up here in, in terms of um, the question was, what city are you buying in? Yeah, you're in London. That's it? Yeah, this is a different person. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, anyways, that was an easy one. We'll just uh, go to the next one. How do you screen your tenants for student rentals? Yeah. So it's a pretty good question. Mm, aside from the screening, regardless of which group that I select, I'm always going to have guarantors for each student. So typically it'll be a five bedroom home and I'll have five separate guarantors. So that is important regardless of which um, group I pick. The other thing you can do to mitigate your risk in student rentals, if you want to take this approach, is if you do offer a higher end product, then just by virtue of your price, your rental price, you probably will be attracting the, let's say, the more affluent niche in the market. And I've noticed anyways that there's a connection between those types of students wanting to take more pride in where they live because it is a nicer place. So that's another way to hedge against uh, risks when selecting tenants. Aside from all that, what I personally do is... um, Students who are already living in places, they have groups come through and really like what they see. So a lot of my new properties that I have become available are just by referral only. So I'll send an email blast to my existing tenants and say, look, I have this coming up. And, you know, I literally have so many groups that want to rent it that I have to pick one um, without even putting an ad. So if you wanted to do that or or she, if, if they wanted to have a higher end product, then I think just by having the higher end product, they're going to mitigate their risk, Mm -hmm. but also definitely always get a guarantor. Um, You could put caps, you could put caps on utilities. You could put mechanisms in place 
um, to essentially mitigate your risk. You could do you could do monthly checks if you wanted to on your property. Yeah. or have a property manager do that. You could recommend that a cleaner go in there every month or two months just to get eyes on the property. Just to get yeah. eyes on the property. I know that I like to either myself or uh, employees. I like to actually not employees, guys that are on my team, like to go in and actually see the property when we change the, the furnace filters. Yeah. So I, I like to do that a few times a year and actually check the property out, see the condition that it's in. Um, as far as like selecting a group, it's a little bit different from the regular family rental where you run a credit check and you know you can call references. A lot of these folks are going to be you know, 17, 18, 19. They're yeah. not going to have that much there's experience. There's no credit. There's no, there's no, no credit. tenant history, like so, nothing like that. But I think student rentals get a bad rap. Like I've had such amazing experiences yeah. with the vast majority of groups oh. to total like total sweethearts all the groups and like the last thing they want to do is to damage the property or you know oh. have ridiculous parties especially yeah. when they see something they want to take pride in right right and that that comes back to what you created right you yeah. created something that that they could be proud to live in exactly and um i i agree with you completely and i like managing those properties better I, I like the, the I like the tenants uh, in the student rentals, yeah. and I enjoy interacting with them a lot yeah. better. I think I think the experience goes better, and I absolutely think you're right by positioning your product above and better than everybody else, and in a higher price point, you immediately eliminate that group that's just looking for the cheapest deal for price. Yeah, like kind of the market I was in when I was a student because I was paying my own rent. Like I just wanted the cheapest one, but you know we didn't treat that property well, and I yeah. I was trying to avoid myself in the product that I created. Yeah, um, and I know you do that. You know you you just you try and create something that's going to attract that best tenant. Yeah. Um, so so the main screening. Yeah, I think we can recap is have the have the better product, but then of course you get the parental guarantors, and I get them too. I get them on every single person because yeah. why wouldn't you? The students are open to it. They they kind of expect it. I know some. I've heard people say that students didn't want it. Well, I guess they didn't want it's the property. The norm. Bad it's essentially the norm. Yeah. So, but if you have enough demand for your property, it's like, well, this is how it goes. Yeah, I just wouldn't even accept if if a group if was like, no, to. I don't want Gareth. Say, well, that's fine, not a problem. I'll just take the next group. <laughs> just take the next group. Yeah, it's so no like, problem. Clearly, there's a reason they don't want that. You know. They, yeah, exactly. There's got to be a reason that they yeah. don't want that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Thanks for taking questions, Andrew. Um, how do we seek bigger cash flow properties? Also financing. I'm an excellent listener and learner, but haven't yet broken uh, out past two properties. Excited to make this year about growth and scaling. Uh, you're a great podcast host, and I've learned so much from your output. Uh, thank you for that. One last note. Okay, now now he's just tooting my horn. Okay, so we'll just go by, <laughs> we'll just go with the first part. Um, okay, so thank you for that. I appreciate that, and uh, yeah, spread the word. Um, get more people listening. So. You have two properties, wants to grow for bigger cash flow properties. Carlo, if you were all the way back at two properties, what would you do now? I would say um, because of the climate, I don't know. what Did he say where he is? I don't know where he is. I know he's in southwestern Ontario. Okay. I, I would just say because of the climate that we're in right now where it's difficult, if not near impossible, to actually find properties that are cash flowing right off the bat, like right when you actually acquire the property, I would say try and find ways to add like some creative value to mm-hmm. the property where you can create that cash flow. I know we've touched on this point before, yeah. but if he only has two properties, he may not have actually like gotten into a full out renovation or a gut. So he may want to learn the renovation side of things and learn after 
um, learn the values after renovated, uh, really study what properties will be worth after he puts in X amount of dollars, mm-hmm. what he'll buy it for, how much the renovation will cost and what it will be worth. And then kind of do the reverse logistics, like on that new mortgage, on the new value, will he be able to cash flow at the new rent, at the increased rent with his renovations? Right. So that's the mentality that I had at two, whatever, one, two, three, four properties. It's like, what can I add here strategically? Like I'm not looking to gut at that point. Mm -hmm. Right, because money is tight when you're trying to expand, you know, a right, couple yeah. properties. So, what can I add strategically? Obviously, make sure the property is safe. Like all the big items are are safe. Yeah. But what can I do strategically? And I would always go to you know bathrooms, kitchens, yeah, paint, change out some light fixtures, um, do things that are going to make a visual impact, modernize the properties, yeah. be strategic in your rentals. Your only goal is to get the the rent up right and i think that's where you got to have uh, you know if, if you have somebody that you can ask that's uh that's got like a, a really good uh acuity for for design like somebody who's, who who knows how to just add that little accent that might not cost that much but right. can make your place stand out and i know like obviously we we do what we can carlo and i know we do nice stuff but i had carmen on the on the show yeah. and uh she she'll she'll put in 50 year old light fixtures into a brand new uh place i so, love what she's done here i mean yeah. she obviously has a good eye for that stuff yeah yeah so she has a great eye like i'll i'll watch what she does and she's usually like you know a couple of years ahead of where the market's going so she's already doing you know what what we know will come in a couple of years or what, what we think it will okay uh so she stands out I've seen her get higher than market rents, totally. you know, where, where people didn't think it was possible. And then as soon as you're getting those higher than market rents, now appraisers can justify giving you a higher value. Right. It's all based and on that income. As long as the appraisal, especially if you get into the multifamilies, when you're getting higher, uh, you it's know, five, all five units, rate. it's all cap rate, all right? Cap so it's rate. all how much income your building produces. Uh, so it becomes very mathematical what they're going to value your property. Yes. At. I mean, nothing's perfect. There's no perfect science. And you could find an appraiser that won't agree with this, but many will. And uh, I think that that's a big potential. So in order to do that, though, if you don't have a lot of cash, right. you may need to leverage your existing house, your existing two houses, maybe yeah. use private money, have a really good plan and really know your market, know that end value. Yeah. And then you need to execute and go like crazy. And it depends how motivated he is, how far he yeah. wants to go. He, he could do the work himself. Yeah. You could hire buddies. I mean, yeah. you could you know, barter with buddies. It just depends yeah. how badly he wants it. Right. But the end goal, as you and I have both said, I think is look for opportunities to create that, yeah. that cash flow, that value, and then exit and essentially a burr. Yeah. So I, uh, I had a guy on the podcast, uh, Jeremy Ivany, back on uh, episode 78 for anyone who wants to check that out. Okay. Um, he's, he went to a real estate conference, decided he was going to get in. And this was 14 months ago. And uh, he got to seven properties just between his girlfriend and himself. Yeah. Uh, inside of, I think it was like 10 months. Now they're at 11 properties, including JVs. Good for him. In 14 months. Good for him. Uh, doing burrs and he was doing the work himself. So he's still doing it. Jeremy, uh, shout out. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, so if there's a will, there's a way. There's a will, there's a way. Now, you, you Jeremy's uh, an electrician by trade, uh, but quit his job and now he just works in his properties and they Good do for all the renovations, yeah, hires yeah. out a little bit. Um, he's got his angle uh, doing Chatham, Ontario. So there's cash flow there. Oh, okay, um, okay. 
you know, it's it's all what you're willing to do, right? Yes. Yes. If if you're single, I feel like you have the ability to do these things. Once yes. you're in a relationship, you're you're kind of tied to a an area a little bit more uh, than than you might be. And you so don't get in one. <laughs> Not saying don't get in one, but if you aren't in one yet, take advantage of that time and uh, and use yeah. it to your advantage. I mean, you have utter freedom at that point to yeah. move around, um, be more selective with the markets that you deal with, and put in more of your time. Yeah. I mean, if, if, like, if he wants to, for yeah. me, it's like, I want my time. Yeah, like, I'd rather time. pay the money, keep my time, right. you know, but for him, it may make more sense to put in his time and yeah. sweat equity and, you know, create that cash flow. Right. I honestly wouldn't mind, like, if I could just put all my other responsibilities uh, out of my life, I wouldn't mind doing hands-on work, framing a house. Like, I, I would find that fun. Like, just... If you enjoy I it, I want to always do it, but I would, it, I would yeah. like to do, I would like to do, uh, some of the work myself just because I, I, I don't mind working with my hands. Yeah. I just don't find it mentally stimulating. So, I mean, if yeah. you enjoy it, then well, you I wouldn't, do it. I wouldn't necessarily want to do it every day, but yeah, I hear you. Like I do have aspirations of like have my own house, build my own addition or even build my own house one day and, yeah. and do some of the work myself. I That's think that cool. would be fun. That's cool. Cause I could say, I could tell the kids one day that I built. Because time it has more value than money, basically. You can't get your time back. Like, why That's do right. people pay 20 bucks for a Chipotle, whatever, stir fry? Because I don't want to go cut the lettuce and cut the meat and, like, go yeah. to the grocery store and, you know, take the money. I'll keep, I'll keep my time. Yeah. Right? Like, I'll pay. I'm not going to go cut all that up yeah. and you know, waste an hour. Well, and it's also knowing, knowing what your time is worth, right? So exactly. if you're asking the question, you know, if I'm doing my highest and best use, my most profitable activity, how much money it's can I earn? It's not boarding drywall. Yeah, exactly. Because that's, so, that's like a, you know, $40 so, an hour job. So the way I think is, why would I do that? Unless I yeah. really enjoy it, which I right. don't, why yeah, would exactly. I do it? Exactly, right? So if that's a $40 an hour job, but you know, you could be, say, selling real estate or doing something like that where you can make you know, $100 an hour, $200 an hour, yeah. then you got to acknowledge, well, unless I enjoy it, unless it's not, really it's not productive. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Not efficient. Yeah. Not efficient. That's a good, good way of putting it. All right. I think that was it for my question. So okay. I actually want to ask you about, you have a property that you yeah. just built an addition on Yeah. and uh, I won't give the address, but, um, it was already an eight bedroom. Okay. I know the property. Yeah. Okay. Can we uh, we talk about that property? Sure. What would you like to know? Okay. So what did you do to it? You, originally, you had, uh, I think you had eight bedrooms rented out? Yeah. So in London, the cap, most people know this, but the cap for the number of bedrooms is five. Mm-hmm. So legally, you can only have five bedrooms in a house. This particular house, it was essentially grandfathered in, so to speak. So I have eight bedrooms that are, in fact, legal. Great property, one of my best properties, very close to the university and very spacious house. Amazing. It's always been good to me. Um, but huge lot, like football field lot, right? Uh, and I always thought this space on the back was way underutilized. So a couple of years ago, uh, I think all municipalities in Ontario came out with a bylaw but in London, basically... 2017, right? Yeah. London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In London, you could yeah. build additional units um, on, the, on the... Essentially, you can convert your property into two units, mm-hmm. either by building another unit in the back or making the basement, basement another yeah. unit. As long as you don't build more than 40% of the existing structure. So in this case, it was a large house, almost 4,000 square feet. So I was able to build 
40% of that, like, so about 1600 square feet, which I did. So essentially what I did was convert two of the bedrooms in the main house to dens and then build another two bedroom unit on the back with a den with another den. Um, so it turned out great. I actually matched the brick. We're just finishing it up right now. And that's the type of thing that, uh, I'm passionate about cause it's creative. Like we yeah. were talking about earlier. So if you look at that pro- project in isolation, it's like that cost of the secondary unit is around 200 K. Okay. Okay. The other ones that you and I did, I, I know we're a bit less, but this is bigger and I did it with brick Brick, and it's bigger. Yeah. Okay. So around 200 K you're doing, you're doing well at 200 K probably low twos. Yeah. So just say 200 K. Yeah, sure. But the additional revenue that that's going to get, like I'll rent that for 23 or 2,400 yeah. uh, a month. So if you think 1% rule, you're beating it or matching it. And even if you say the taxes are going to go up by another 200 and, you know, utility, even say a net of around two grand. Mm-hmm. And so 24,000 a year net income, and then the cost won't exceed 240. So that's like a 10% cap. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So you can't find that anywhere else. And that's only as a result of uh, knowing the market and being creative. Yeah. Okay. So let's just look at what this house would generate then. So you're going to have on the existing house, what will the gross rent be? On the existing house, it's going to jump down to six bedrooms rather than eight. Okay. But way, way more competitive at that point. So I like, think I'd be at around the same that you're getting for sunset at yeah. 850. 850 a bedroom. Times six. Okay. And then you're going to have 2,400 on the back. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to be about $7,500 a month. On this property, yeah. On the property. Yeah. What do you figure your taxes will be? Taxes right now are about six grand a year. They might go up to seven, seven thousand five hundred. Yeah, okay. I just had MPAC stop by one of my properties. Did you? Yeah, don't like that. No. Uh, okay, so you're probably going to be like $3,000 in insurance? Yeah, say three grand insurance. Yeah. Okay, maintenance, uh, 5% I'll leave in there. You don't have sure. management. Your utilities, you're going to be paying some, right? Yeah, definitely paying utilities. You got to put around 500 a month for that. So uh, six grand in utilities and then lawn cutting. I think you're going to have... Say like, 100 a month, lawn, so snow removal. 1,200 a year yeah. uh, for that. Okay, um, so what do you figure that's worth when you're done? I don't plan on selling it. Like I wouldn't even accept you know, 1.3, you know, 1.2. 1. I wouldn't even accept that. I think it's worth 1.4-ish. 1.4 pretty crazy cash flow but yeah so at 1.4 million that would be a 4.8 percent cap rate which i think sounds appropriate for all essentially one yeah. brand new and the existing house is almost all new as well so hypothetically uh if you were to refinance that at 75 percent of 1.4 million you'd have a million dollar one million fifty thousand dollar mortgage yeah 25 year mortgage that'd be a 4500 dollar payment at 2.25 percent yeah you'd still have a thousand dollars of cash flow See, that's the power of, of getting into real estate and just hanging on to it. Mm-hmm. And that's, so this, that situation now, like, I think I owe maybe three or 400 K on that, but it, okay. it's just sitting there if I wanted to refinance so that. So you have three or 400 K even after this. Uh, so let's just see what that actually, what your cash flow approximately is. Are, you have a bank mortgage on that right now? Yeah, I have a bank mortgage. Yeah. So that's like, you probably have 25 years left on it maybe at this point something like that something yeah. like that two point some odd percent. like the mortgage is yeah. like less than two grand it's like nothing so once this is done you'll have you'll have basically 3700 $3, which i'll just keep you know unless yeah. i really found other projects and i needed those funds 
Um, but I would just hang on to that. But I, it's not like I wasn't projecting that sort of equity when I bought it. Mm-hmm. And I'm projecting that same sort of equity now going into this different strategy that we talked about earlier. Yeah. So if you do, if you do really understand the market and you have that awareness and foresight, you can set yourself up to be in really good equity positions, not too far after your, your acquisition date, mm-hmm. like, you know, four or five, six, seven years. Well, you never know for sure, for sure. But you never I mean, know for sure. No, I like I like your your London strategy because like just think about the people leaving Toronto right now because their employer no longer requires them to work in the office every day. Yeah, like, yeah you know what? London's a lot cheaper. I only need to come in once a week. It's a two hour drive. Big deal. Big you know, deal. something like that, or come in once a month, or I don't know. Everyone has a different scenario, but uh, I, I think you could attest to this. Like people are flocking to London right now. The demand in oh, London crazy. is insane. Crazy seller's crazy. market. Yeah, not to uh, mention if we see the rapid bus, you know, transit system come to fruition mm-hmm. between Toronto and London and Windsor and you know all these GTA. Yeah. It's like what's going to happen to London values then, or you know, Windsor, or Burlington, or whatever the case, Oakville. It's yeah. like they're immediately going to go up 20, 25% right yeah. when that occurs. It's pretty wild. Now, I, I don't know with our income disparity how much more houses can go up across the board, but for sure, London's on the cheaper end still of, of all of Canada. And, and it's still, even on the cheaper end, the, pol- big the, the polarity in, in the discrepancy in who can buy a house and who can't mm-hmm. is even strong in London. So in Toronto, yeah. it's essentially like, Houses, owning owning a house is becoming just a dream for most. Yeah. You know, let's say you graduate university, you're 17, 18, 19, whatever, 20, 21. Owning a house is a, is a prospect that isn't really realistic in, in Toronto anyways, for most people. Yeah, it's it's true. I think I, I heard something, somebody uh, had put out an article that said you needed to make $200,000 in uh in Toronto a year just to be middle class to be considered middle class yeah that makes sense I feel like it's even higher than that now because this was a little while ago um, that makes sense can you imagine and you're certainly not going to be lounging in uh, up in Yorkville oh, or anything no. like that no <laughs> what, what is that so so they say you know quick quick math four times your salary is what you can afford to buy what can you get in Toronto for 800 grand uh, a condo not even the dirt a condo <laughs> not even the dirt yeah, yeah. I mean, you can buy you can find a little condo maybe yeah. 800 600 square feet 700 square feet yeah I, I do, you know, my viewers and listeners will know, I, I do think that's going to come down. I don't know how much. Uh, I just see a lot of forces, right? You see Toronto and, and there's just too many reasons why people could leave now. I don't think that means forever. I just think for a time being, there actually might be a really good opportunity to buy in Toronto. Uh, I think in the now near future. at this time there is. Yeah, it's it's becoming quite a buyer's market yeah. uh, for condos anyway. Condos, I, yeah. It's just slowed. I, I've seen that because um, we just sold Jordan's condo. Um we've seen it slow so we we were so it was a good move yeah i saw it coming and i just said okay let's price aggressively let's price under Mm -hmm, the market mm -hmm. so that you know we're not competing we're we're clearly under and and we got an offer when she finally dropped the price enough we got an offer uh first day Uh, i think it was first or second day and uh and that just firmed up so amazing yeah so you gotta you gotta again take the emotion out of it and just really really look at it logically and say wow there's a lot of reasons you know people can work from home there's no sporting events. Airbnb just flooded the market with rental properties, yes. which when those They're don't rent, a hit now too. huge hit. So Airbnb is basically yeah. outlawed. So now those are going to get liquidated. Uh, you know, a lot of them are going to go up for sale when people realize they can't cash flow. 
So, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not ideal, um, but I do think there's some opportunity there. Yeah, for sure. I think the bottom line of everything we've been discussing is pay attention to these outside factors and look for creative ways to purchase real estate. Like look at what's going on in the economy, on the macro, the micro level, pay attention to where your own strengths might be, mm-hmm. leverage your own assets, your own family, your own friends, if you can. Yeah. And use your own strengths and what's within your control and optimize those to the best of your ability and don't really worry so much about things that are outside of your control other than to put them into your calculations, but don't concern yourself with them. All right, Carlo, anything else you would like to cover before we wrap up? I had one question that made uh, sense that perhaps we could cover. Oh yeah, you had some questions too. I had a bunch come in, but one made sense. It's like, what are some of the mindsets um, that would be akin to actually maintaining your own business in real estate and then growing your own business in real estate. Um, do you have any input on that? Maintaining and growing? Yeah, uh, like just what mindsets would be beneficial to actually owning properties and trying to grow and become, you know, financially independent? Well, yeah, I think I think that you need to be a you need to be questioning things first off, right? And I think most yeah. real estate investors have. They question the original traditional plan of, you know, pay into your Canada pension and eventually you retire. Like, yeah. obviously, we're well, we're well beyond that. Uh, but I, I think you're probably better to answer that question. But I'll just give my uh, my two cents. Like, I, I think that you got to condition your mind mostly daily. Like, yeah. what, what, what goes in really does affect you. So, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of TV or, or anything like that. I mean, yeah. I, I do a lot of audio books and, and podcasts and I like to educate myself. So I think that you got to be in that growth mindset, I, you know, educating yeah. yourself, getting around people that, that think the way you want to think. And that's, you know, we're buying properties, we're managing. So if somebody, you know, has a, has a connection to you, like they should be utilizing that, seeing yeah. if they can add value, yeah. you know, be a giver and, and you will, uh, you'll get back by, uh, by delivering value to others. Yeah. I think the only thing I would add is, definitely build on your point like your circle of friends mm-hmm. or your sphere like they say you're the product of the five people you hang out with yeah i could not agree more um so as far as mindsets and whatnot go going back to the original question i would say in the business of whatever business you're in you're going to encounter hard times right it doesn't matter if it's real estate or any business but a quote that i heard a really long time ago um, that resonated with me was like uh, hard times never last, but hard people do or tough times don't last, but mm-hmm. tough people last. And I, I couldn't agree more because I've been hit with really difficult times in my own business. And I'm sure you have. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll just throw out a personal example, tell, tell a story. But a few years ago in the summer, I had three projects on the go uh, and they were all uh, in the summer and they were all going to be flips and they're all student properties. So they all had to be completed by September and the city of London went on strike, yeah. which was hard enough as it is because I needed to complete those projects for the students to move in. Also there were sales in place and also the flipping business in general is just extremely capital intensive. Yeah. So I was counting on that like money that was coming in roughly like a million dollars liquid coming in to acquire the next batch of properties. Yeah. So already it was hard enough finishing the properties. I got them done. 
And then what happened was all three purchasers couldn't complete their financing. Oh, okay. It had nothing to do with the properties. Like they were complete, the students were moving in, but they couldn't complete their financing. So the purchasers had to back out. It's not as if the realtors that I work with wouldn't find new purchasers because they did. But right. just during that time, just a time lag. During that time, to, to couple that, to couple all that, I basically had to discharge the two mortgage. One was just paid in cash. Yeah. But there was two mortgages that I had. And the lender, the private lender, had other commitments at the end of the term. So I had to pay those off. Yeah. So it's like, not only am I not getting this money, but now I'm in the hold because I have to pay these mortgages off. You helped me out during that yeah. time. We put a private loan. But what I'm saying is that the mentality, like like 95% of business owners, what would they do during that time? They'd probably bow out. They'd yeah. probably take a you know, victim mentality cities on strike, you know, these, these buyers. But I think a mentality to keep in mind is like, you're not really going to ever grow and become mentally stronger unless you experience those situations. Yeah. If you're always in your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So when that was happening to me, I already had that awareness and I'm yeah. like, you know what? I actually like this. I, I wouldn't ask for it, but I like that it's happening now because it's an opportunity for me to actually be challenged and get creative, do what I have to do and just move on. Yeah, it gets stronger. So I would always say keep that mentality and have a stomach yeah. for these types of things, for rejection, things like that. The nice thing is you were already in. There was no looking back once you were in. <laughs> you already own those properties mid-renovation, right? I was so, already in. So yeah, I mean, a lot of people, if they'd had the foresight, they would have said, no way, not doing that. So it's almost kind of a blessing that you didn't know it was coming. I still would have done yeah. it. You still would have done it? Yeah, All right, yeah, well, yeah. there you go. Not everybody would, you're right. But yeah, that's about yeah. it. Uh, I think that was a good question. So I want yeah. to touch on it. Absolutely. Actually, I have a question for you. Um, okay. Very relevant. So this is our rental season coming up. It's almost October now. Yes. Uh, by the time this airs, it will be. Yeah. Normally, I'm sending out uh, emails to tenants, sending out uh, next year's lease. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is anything changing on that front for you, knowing now like Western is mostly not in-person classes right now? And you're sending out next year's lease. Where'd you learn that from? I learned that from you. Okay. So anyway, so we're asking asking Carlo here what he would do, knowing now the I'm lockdown situation. I'm not going to change my approach. So you're just still going to reach out to yeah. them and still and say, I hey. And I think there, is, there, there are still enough students, despite what's occurring, that A, either have classes or B, do not want to be at home. Yeah. They want to be off campus. So I'm not changing my approach. You're just sending it out anyway. Yeah, I feel good about that. Yeah, I have, like, I can speak from my student rentals. I think they're all back. I don't think, like, there might be, there might be, like, one student in each house that's not there. Right. But but, fundamentally, the house, like, the majority of the houses are all back. Yeah. And I was just talking to one of them the other day, and he's just like, yeah, I just didn't want to be at home. (laughs) I was talking to multiple, yeah, yeah, two girls the other day. They're like, yeah, no matter what, I don't want to be at home. Yeah, exactly. And... So it's good to have them looped in. I know, I know like some people, for instance, in Windsor, their rental cycle is typically September 1st uh, okay. is when they start, which I, I don't like. I would want no, to get that back to May 1st. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. then yeah, in their last year, they're just going to bail out on the last four yes, months. Yes, yes, uh, But anyways, a guy I know, he was, he was renting his out. He was proactive. He dropped his price just so he could get... Incentivize them a little yeah, bit. Yeah, incentivize people because yeah. there was less demand. But I think that it's coming back. I think a lot of people are pretty optimistic about, you know, next year. Of course. I mean, like the campuses all exist. It, yeah, it, it would be really far fetched to imagine that classes would continue not to go on. But who knows? 
no one knows anything for sure. I'm hoping for the best. So yeah, I'm going to do the same. Just going to going to send those leases out. As far as um, marketing for for new student leads, do you see that being an issue? Um, I still use my same approach. Um, so I reach out to all my existing tenants and uh, send an email blast. And okay. I actually incentivize them as well. It's like if you send me a referral that materializes, I think you might have incorporated this as well. I haven't I yet, them, but I've heard you talk about this. Yeah, and I think it works it might be amazing. Time. It works amazingly because it's a win-win i get tenants that are actually friends of existing tenants so So do you do it for ones that are on their way out or do you do it to just like say you have house a that's in one location and house b that's in another location are you going to send an email to house a saying i'm trying to fill house b do you have anybody so i'll actually send an email to all of my tenants Mm -hmm. even past tenants okay with all of my availability for the season say i have these houses yeah if you have anybody. i don't even necessarily list the houses i just say i have eight or houses or nine or ten houses and mm-hmm. i'll give you like x amount of dollars per referral like right now i'm giving fifteen hundred dollars for a group for, so if they refer a, a group that signs yeah so you could potentially make like last year i think i had a guy make like at least six or seven thousand dollars really yeah just by shooting over <laughs> referrals that's amazing yeah and a girl made like three or four grand as well just by you know hey um here's my friend an email yeah that's it they want a house yeah they want so a are house. you still doing like off-campus housing listing very rarely so okay so i'm gonna build this into my business then too <laughs> <laughs> worth worth the uh worth the hour uh, for that alone all these things right these little systems you can do to just make yeah. your life easier more efficient yeah just yeah. more efficient get better results totally and then referrals you know, typically they're going to be of similar caliber to the people that referred them. They hope. always have been in my experience. And then the referred group really has a little more of an onus to keep the house tidy. Yeah. It's because they don't want to give a bad Take reputation the name, yeah. to their to their friends, right? I love that. So it's a great system. I love that's, it too. That's great. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely uh, integrating that into my uh, my system for this year. So it's coming up, right? We're, we're on uh, October 1st tomorrow. So uh, as we yeah. shoot this, but this will air end of October. But uh, cool. Carlo, thanks for doing this. Where should people follow you, reach out? Should they or should they just wait for the next episode? Uh, yeah, first of all, you're welcome. My pleasure. They can email me if they want. Or actually, like I said, I have a website where they can check out the type of product that i have yeah what's that you website? can link it below it's uh ehlondon.ca so just exclusive homes ehlondon.ca yeah. okay yeah i'll get that link from you put it in the show notes and then i'll put your uh your century 21 connect you are sure. a realtor although i yeah. don't believe you're actively uh taking on clients at this moment no i'm not yeah. taking on clients but uh yeah i do have my real estate license yeah it's a, it's a handy tool very when handy you're, tool. when you're in this business yes. so um Okay. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Just a friendly reminder that the kindest thing that you can do if you're enjoying this content is to share it with somebody that you think it could help. I don't have a big marketing budget for this podcast. Everything is word of mouth. So your sharing this content means everything. Thank you again. I'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.